It's always a, a real delight to be with you all. Uh, it's, uh, you're a wonderful little fellowship here, and it's, 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 it's a real nice trip across the world. It's a 50-minute drive, which uh, is very enjoyable. And when you get here, there's, there's huge blessings. So I'm really glad to be here again this, this morning. Um, I've had an interesting week. I, I was at uh, the UCCF, which is the, the university's governing bodies, their conference over at uh, the Quinta in Shropshire. And over there, there was 850 uh, students gathered. Uh, they go there to, to get equipped for the new university college year. Uh, they're all lead, the leaderships from each of the Christian unions in, in, in universities around the country. And it, it was an incredible blessing to be there. But one thing I didn't get much of was sleep. I was, uh, we, we sang earlier, didn't we, that, uh, that, that Lord wake us from our slumber. Well, I didn't really get hardly any slumber uh, this week. I had a, a bed and breakfast just a little ways away from, from where, where the, the, the conference was taking place. And I, this bed and breakfast had a clock tower literally about 100 yards away from uh, where my bedroom window was. And every hour through the night at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., throughout the night, you would hear ding, ding. And so sleep was not something that I got. And it, it, there was nothing about it in TripAdvisor or any of those things. It was, it was just a lack of sleep. But it was a tremendous blessing to be there last, last week. It truly was. Uh, on the, the Friday night, everybody was gathered, about 850 students all gathered in a, in a big uh, marquee. And uh, they were singing worship. And I looked across that, that whole big crowd and thought to myself, what potential? What potential for the Lord's work in this country and perhaps beyond. It's just incredible to see so many people just bringing worship to God and they go back to these universities and they're being equipped to reach out and evangelize within their universities and uh, given the, the tools that they need. It's just, it was just a wonderful thing uh, to see this, this past week. You know, I, as, I, as I chatted to some of those students, I was on the stool for New Tribes Mission and I talked to them. And I, was, I would remind them, each one of them as they came round, go and do what God would have you do. You'll have no regrets if you step out for him and do what he wants you to do. Keep your tent pegs loose. Be ready to move when he wants you uh, to move. Now, the character in, our, 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 in the Bible that we, I want us to talk about this morning is a guy called Gaius. Um, what a guy. There we go. There's my little pun, my little dad joke for the morning. Gaius, what a guy. Yeah, that's the reaction I expected. It's what my family usually do when I, when I, when I do a joke like that. But uh, he was a man who, who kind of re represents the untold millions of Christians down through the ages that no biogra biographies are written about. Uh, the, 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 we, he's not a Hudson Taylor or a William Carey or a Charles Spurgeon. He, he's somebody who, who was really a background guy, although amazingly enough, he does get a mention here in this little epistle, this little epistle of Third John. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people like that in the church that, that will not actually get that huge recognition until one day uh, they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I, don't, I wonder how you're feeling yourself, perhaps even uh, within this church. You may be feeling unrecognized, unseen, perhaps unnoticed in what you do, and you're humbly going about what God has for you to do. And one day you too, just like Gaius already has done, will hear those words, well done, uh, thou good and faithful servant. So Gaius is really the main character of, the, of this, this little epistle. It's just a short 14-verse uh, epistle. And uh, that 
though most of his life is forgotten, the few verses here just tell us a little, give us a little glimpse into what he was like. You know, the book of 3 John is one of those little tiny little letters that you could quite easily sort of glance over in your pursuit to get to that great book of Revelation. It's just a short letter. You've got little Jude again before you get to Revelation. But the, the big themes of Revelation, you want to hear what's going to happen in the future, don't you? Those, those exciting stories there. This is just a tiny letter and you can almost think, we can almost ignore it as we get there. But 3 John, as with all scripture, is not to be ignored. All scripture is, is, is worth reading, isn't it? And is for our benefit. We're told that in Scripture. You know, the, this morning I want us to effect, uh, uh, focus our attention on, on this, this little letter and, and this one is be, that is being written to this man called Gaius. Now, there are other characters you may have noticed in the reading as it was, it was read to us. Uh, there are other characters here. There's, of course, the, the elder John, who is the writer of this letter, the one who writes the letter. So there's, there's John. Uh, then there's Demetrius. Now, he, he was a t- we are told he was a man of good testimony, of a good report, a man of, of truth in verse 12. And then there's a, a man that was almost the polar opposite of both Gaius and Demetrius, a man called Diotrephes, a proud and arrogant man who, who opposed the truth. He put himself first, it says. He loved the preeminence. He wanted to be the top dog. And he talked, I love this, this expression, wicked nonsense. Wicked nonsense. The ESV does it well there. He talked wicked nonsense. And he was so, fact, so wicked, in fact, he would cast believers out of the church who held on to the truth. He was a wicked man. We see all about him in verse 10. But we're going to talk about Gaius. Four things that we can highlight about Gaius. First of all, we will note that he it was the beloved servant, and we see that in verse 1. The well-beloved Gaius, who am I love in the truth. The second thing I noticed is, is the bountiful servant. It goes, it goes well with your soul, and we just sang that, didn't we? It is well with my soul. In the King James Version, it says, thy soul prospereth, that his soul was prospering. The third thing I notice here is, it, and it's not in the dictionary the word bedrocked, but he was the bedrocked servant. In verse 3 there it says, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. He was bedrocked in the truth, in God's word. And that's so important that we are, isn't it? So important, we'll be talking about that. And then finally, the benevolent servant, a word that I should never have chosen because I can't say it. But uh, it's, it's, it's the outworking of a life serving Christ, and we see that in verses 5 to 8. But firstly, this, this, this beloved servant, the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And the word here is, is agapetos, and it's used four times in this, this short little book. Four times, agapetos, that, that well-beloved, the beloved uh, Gaius. Gaius was a man, a brother in Christ, for whom John cared about deeply. Gaius, whom I love in the truth. I love in the truth. You know, John himself, of course, was referred to the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had experienced the Savior's love firsthand in an incredible way. As he writes to people in his letters, that, that love is, is, is shown to everyone else that he's writing to. It comes down through the ages. We see it in, in, th- in th- the first epistle of John in particular, that, that wonderful love. You know, I would urge you, if your love has grown cold for the Lord, 
Read the first epistle of John. It's just so full of his love, his eternal love towards his people. It reminds us of how we should love and love others around us. You know, it says there in 1 John 3.11, For this message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love one another. You know, 1 John bangs on about that over and over again. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Why does it do that? Because we don't get it into our thick skulls and we're not very good at it as human beings. He didn't just preach it, he lived it, John. And look how he begins this epistle to the ch- to, 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 look how he begins the second epistle to the elder, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also though all who know the truth, the well beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. It's such a basic thing, isn't it? We hear it all the time: love one another. So basic. And yet we're hopeless at it. Our Savior so clearly commands us, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, says Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, says Paul. Then Peter, that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Why the constant repetition? Why do we need to be reminded over and over again? We are just rubbish at it. That's why. How many times in churches do we see splits or broken relationships? Because people just don't get along when Jesus says, love one another. Love. You know, the command is repeated because he knows that we are all weak, selfish human beings. And he knows that we're going to fail. And he tells us, love. You know, Jesus loved John. John loved Gaius. And we see, in turn, how Gaius will love those that came through his home. It's a simple thing, isn't it? The well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. It's interesting also to note that he tells Gaius that he loves him. He tells him that. You know, in our stiff upper lip English culture, we don't easily say that we love someone, do we? No, we we hold back. We don't tell people that we love them. You know, we're we're so inhibited. We're unable to express, even in our churches, even in these, these loving gatherings that we have, to say, I love you. I love you in the Lord. Now, even though we have these close bonds of, of, of fellowship and we sing about, about the tie that binds us together, it's, we, 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 we call out to the Lord to bind us together with cords that um, can never be broken, and yet we don't express it. We don't say anything. Do you love one another, Grimsby Baptist Church? Do you say it to one another? You know, Christians... It, Do your brothers and sisters know that you love them? Do they? Gaius knew he was loved by John. And it's a huge challenge to to our Christian lives, isn't it? It was and is the simplest yet most important of all commands. And yet we fail so miserably. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection 
outdo one another in showing honor. Simple. We used to sing the old hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our wants, our comforts and our cares. We share each other's woes. Our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. From sorrow, toil, and pain, and sin, we shall be free, and perfect love and friendship reign through all eternity. That's how church life should be, shouldn't it? But yet so often we come short. I think we forget we are all one in Christ Jesus, and we we focus on our differences. And it's not right, is it? We should focus on what unifies us, the cross of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is full of broken relationships, and they look to the church. Is it any different? It should be. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. John had that special relationship with Christ that that, that placed him at the table. Those years of of ministry alongside Jesus. He would have observed, he would have experienced love in all its perfection. Oh, to have had that experience. But don't we have that experience daily? If we're in fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ, his love. And so as we experience it, then we should show it to those around us. So when he says, well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, it comes from an experienced and, and sincere heart. He knows exactly what love is. He knew that 1 Corinthians 11 love, that agape love that is such a challenge to all of our relationships. He knows that, that love is patient and love is kind. He knows that love does not envy or boast. He knows it is not arrogance. He knows it's not rude. He does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He knows that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And love never ends. That's what Paul tells us. John was thrilled to hear about Gaius. He loved him. Let us love as John loved, as our Savior loves. Beloved Gaia. Secondly, the bountiful servant. It, all, it goes well with your soul. John was, was more concerned, it would seem, with, with, with Gaius's physical being than his spiritual one. And that's interesting because most Christian leaders would be more interested in the spiritual one than the physical one, wouldn't they? And rightly so. But there's no need to be concerned about Gaius' spiritual well-being. This guy was doing well. John has no concerns about his spiritual condition. Now, what can we take from this? Well, concern for people's physical well-being is, is biblical. It's not just about being concerned about the soul. And we should be, Absolutely. But we should be praying for the sick, caring for the poor, looking out for widows and orphans. The Bible is full of that. The New Testament and Christ's teaching is full of it. We cannot and should not be ignoring the physical plight of the people around us. 
You know, our missionaries work in, in areas where, where there's is, there is all kinds of things going on, whether it's disease and malnutrition and, and poverty. A lot of these things are rife in the towns and villages that they work in. And you can't go to those places and totally ignore that situation just because you're there to translate the Bible and to, to church plant and to, to bring the gospel. You have to take care of some of those needs as well. We don't turn a blind eye to it. Yes, our priority is to bring Jesus Christ to a, a people group that has no chance of hearing. That is our priority. But we don't ignore the needs around us. One could speculate, as some commentators have here in this passage, that there may have been some real bad ailment or weakness with Gaius. John, in his loving, caring, pastoral concern, was hoping and praying that God would restore good physical health to Gaius so he could keep going in what he was doing. What a testimony Gaius had, though. His, his soul prospered. His life was fruitful. John had heard much about Gaius. The reports were all good. People had stayed with him and, and, and been given good hospitality by him. His home had received a, a TripAdvisor five-star rating. He was, he was an Airbnb super host, as it were. You know, John was, had become uh, aware of this, this, the fruitfulness of his soul. His reputation had gone before. How we need more like Gaius today. Men and women whose souls could be recognized as prospering. Prospering souls. Is your soul prospering this morning? You do is the Greek word. I, like, I only put it down, not because I, I'm a great Greek studier, but you do just sounds cool, doesn't it? You do is the Greek word here. Bountiful, fruitful. By your fruits you shall know them, says Christ. By your fruits, by their fruits you shall know them. How is that possible for us as Christians? How is it possible to be fruitful and bountiful? How? By staying close to the vine. Listen to the Savior, John 15, verse 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And Gaius was doing exactly that. He was bountiful because he was abiding in the vine, because he was close to his Savior. And the fruit was showing. People could see that in his life as he walked day by day uh, with him. What an example to us. Thirdly, the bedrock servant. And it, I, it, we read here in verse 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, this thrilled John. It says he rejoiced greatly. The truth was anchored deep in the soul of Gaius. But, but that, not only that, he was, he was living it out and he was walking in that truth. You know, when people met Gaius' faith, his whole life was a testimony to them of the truth that was within. He lived to serve the one who had saved him. Sometimes we, we have the privilege of sitting with veteran missionaries when they've, they've come home after a lifetime of, of, of serving uh, overseas. 
We do a debrief with them. And I remember sitting down with Jack and Isa Douglas. They had worked with the Powayan people of Papua New Guinea. And they told story after story of, of, of what God had done, how, how they'd seen more than a thousand believers uh, come to know Christ in, the, in that, uh, five thousand people come to know Christ in that area. That there were seven churches, there were, there, there were people reaching out and the word was going on. They were now in their 70s and they were, were still making visits back and forward to encourage those people. They were heroes of the faith and yet humbly they would talk of this whole thing, what God had done. It wasn't about them. Yes, they had stepped out back in the late 1960s to serve Christ. But it was about what God had done in that place in Papua New Guinea. I love hearing those stories. Can I ask you this morning, are you bedrocked in the truth? Are you walking in it? They had to do so every year of their life. Walk in the truth before those people, and the people saw it, and they followed Christ. Is God's word the very foundation of your, your life? I have a, a love-hate relationship with social media. I don't know how good you are with social media. Some, some are, some are not. The only form of social media I actually use, and probably not very well according to my kids, is WhatsApp or WhatsApp. I have no idea. I call it WhatsApp because I haven't got a clue. But all I know is, is every now and again, I'm sitting in my office and, and the phone starts beeping and you think, oh no, not again. And you look at the picture and it's my mum sending yet another picture of her dog on a, on a walk somewhere. And I'm thinking, what is that? And, and, and then you look in the background and I see the new forest and I think, oh, wouldn't I be back home? Home was the new forest and I love walking. I love being out in the countryside. Even this last week I was out walking in the hills of, uh, of Wales in between times at that conference site I was at and I loved it. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be walking? But even better, even better than walking in the mountains, walking in the forest is, is walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. We must walk in the truth wherever we are, in our schools, in our homes, on the bus, at work, walk in the truth. Live out his word, obeying his commands, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, bringing that truth to those around us. Gaius stood out for the crowd, do we? He was clearly showing a testimony that people saw Jesus Christ in him. You know, the world is walking a very different walk to us. Do we stand out by what we wear? Do we stand out by other things or do we stand out because of the truth? I have no greater joy, says John, than to hear them, my children, walk in the truth. So Gaius, the beloved, the bountiful and the bedrocked. And then finally, and more briefly, the, the benevolent servant. The benevolent servant in verses 5 to 8. This, for Gaius, was the outworking of the truth within. Gaius was, was gifted, it would seem, with hospitality. And what does it say here in verse 5? Uh, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you, you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them out on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. You know, it's interesting to note that Gaius was, not as far as we know, a gifted evangelist. We, we don't know of any uh, frontline missionary work that he did. There was nothing 
particularly uh, amazing, it would seem, in human eyes as, uh, as to, to, to achievements in his life. Uh, but here was a support worker, a, gifted, a man gifted encouraging those evangelists that, that were passing through, those, those missionaries that were passing through his home. He was someone who would perhaps offer a meal, a bed for the night. You know, he, he was someone who encouraged them, almost certainly sat down and prayed with them as they came through. He was a person who would open the scriptures and, and just talk to them about the Lord. He maybe even gave them some money to help them on their way. He, he was someone who, who would have uh, uh, washed their feet and, and the dust and, and dirt that they, that they would have been on. They would, he would have, have, have spent time to, to tend to their blisters from the long walks that they had been on from the day's journey. He would have maybe even tended the wounds of those that had been persecuted. Gaius was well-loved by these workers. His home would have seemed like an oasis, a spiritual retreat almost, as they passed through. He was well-loved, a a bit like Phoebe was, who Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 16. It says there, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the Lord, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. She had supported Paul, and Gaius would have been a similar uh, person. There is a place for the support worker in the church of God, a place uh, to to get behind those that are on the so-called front line. You know, we are all in the work together. We all need to be about the business of getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never had a chance to hear. Whether it be here in Lincoln or beyond, we need to be a part of that. But it's not always that our job is a frontline worker. Not all of us are called to go to Timbuktu, which is an incredibly needy place in Mali. You know, it's an Islamic place, a place where, where, where it's really difficult to, to, to share God's word. But not all of us are called to go there. Some are, and somebody needs to go to that place. But we need those also that are like Gaius and Phoebe, who stand behind those who are in those places. Those who will get upon their knees and pray for those frontline workers. Those who, who, who will recognize that, that it truly is a spiritual battle out there, and they can take part in that battle here in Lincoln. You know, I remember two old ladies from, from my own home church that, that, that would pray for us daily. They would tell us that they're praying for us, and we knew they were. We were out in Africa, and we went through some tough times, but the, the thought that these two old ladies were always praying for us was a wonderful blessing. You kind of wonder when you look back, they've gone to be with the Lord now. Would we have even made it in those days without those prayers behind us? You know, those who will support missionaries, evangelists, pastors through the sacrificial giving of their finances as well. So important, all of these things. You know, God has never let us down in in the 30 years of service, living by faith. And it's because people are in the background supporting us. God is no man's debtor, and he he does things through different people in different ways, and he uses people in different ways. So keep supporting evangelists, missionaries, and workers. We we know that that, uh, Barnabas and Tobiah come into your fellowship, and I know you're getting behind them, and we're thankful uh, for that.
those who have encouraged us like Gaius, offered hospitality like Gaius, if we were to name those people individually, the list would go on and on in 30 years of service that we have been working with new tribes. So I think it's important for us to realize there is a need for, for the Gaiuses and Phoebes. I'm not sure how many times people who have supported us have talked to me with almost a sense of shame that it wasn't them who got on an airplane and went to this country or that. But we need people in the background. We need people praying for us. We need people supporting. You know, I I say to them, you you have gone with us with your prayers. You have gone with us through your generosity. You've gone with us with your hospitality. You know, I tell them that we were dorm parents ourselves. We weren't actually in the villages giving the word, but we were dorm parents looking after children. The parents were the ones in the village, so we too were support workers. And yet the cafe, the Hewa, the Palaka, the Laron, the Glaro, the Dom, they were reached for Christ by the parents that were the children of, the, of the children that we were looking after. The Malamandan and so on. Those people came uh, to hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you support uh, the the work here uh, in Lincoln and then beyond, you are part of something bigger, just a great big picture, just as Gaius was. It says here, Therefore we ought to support people like these, that they may be fellow workers for the truth, verse 8. No, Gaius, it would seem, was just a humble guy putting God first, others second, and himself absolutely last. You know, John loved him and commended him for his service for others. No, he wasn't the Apostle Paul uh, going from place to place. No, he stayed where he was, constantly taking the gospel, uh, uh, constantly uh, uh, helping those that were coming through. You know, yet he was faithful in the task he had been given. He was not the type of person, as I said earlier, that you would write a biography about. He wasn't Hudson Taylor. He wasn't Charles Spurgeon. Yet he humbly carried on. And this brief account has been included to encourage the many down through history who encourage, who encourage and to, who support and stay in the background. We used to sing a a song as children, there's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding. Yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Work for Jesus day by day. Serve him ever, falter never. Christ obey. Yield him service loyal. Yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus precious souls to bring. Tell them of his mercies, tell them of your king. Faint not, not grow weary. He will strengthen you. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Believe that. Believe that God can use you in the situation that you're in, your neighbors, your friends, here in Lincoln and beyond. And that's my prayer for you. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this example of a character that humbly was set about serving you in, a, in the situation that he was in, a faithful brother, 
of brother, Lord, that went to be with you many, many years ago. And Lord, heard those wonderful words, well done, thou faithful, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us simply to uh, follow after you, to do what you would have us do. Lord, there is no better place to be in than serving you in whatever uh, situation that we find ourselves in. And Lord, we will have no regrets in life if we have done what you have asked us to do. Lord, we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.